Hello, hockey fans. Welcome once again to another episode of the Vegas Hockey Podcast. My name is Mark Warner, along with Chris Lisa, your host for the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Today, we're bringing in Justin Bradford, author of the book Making of Smashville. He's also the writer and host of Penalty Box Radio. Uh, we're going to talk a little Predators hockey. We're going to go around the league and break the ice on uh, news and notes in the show, and then headed down the Vegas lane. There's lots to talk about with Subban getting activated. Uh, our, our young Dylan Ferguson reassigned to Kamloops. What an experience for him, and we'll get into all of that in just a minute's time. Stay tuned. All right, hockey fans, let's kick this show off with a bang and bring in my co-host, Chris Lisa. Chris, good day to you, sir. How's, how are things out on Long Island? A little rainy weekend, but we're doing we're doing well. And uh, so why don't we just jump right into it? We got our opening face-off breaking the ice here. We got, we're going to go through We're going to talk a little uh, how crazy the Metro division is and then talk a little Winnipeg Jets. Uh, uh, you know, the Devils are in the three-way tie for first place with uh, Columbus and Pittsburgh at 25 points. Although Columbus and Pittsburgh, especially Pittsburgh, has played a lot, a couple, two, three more games than everyone uh, than a few other teams in the division. But you had New Jersey in first with 25 points, and then you had Carolina in last with 17 points. So uh, it, it, to say it's tight, uh, you know, as you know, Mark, I write for Eyes on Isles. Uh, dot com about the Islanders and someone had a good article the other day on the site and said this Metro division and basically the title of the article is the Metro is going to be a dogfight this year and you know we're really seeing that uh, you know right now I mean three teams at 25 the Isles are at 22 Caps 21 Rangers at 20 Phillies at 19 Carolina's at 17 um, you know some teams have played a couple of games less so uh, it's even it's really even tighter than than those numbers suggest. So it, it's going to be uh, obviously the big surprise is the Devils. And next week we're going to have a, a first-time special guest, someone who I've been meaning to have on the show probably for the last couple of years, but it was never the right time to talk Devil hockey. Well, now it is, and that's Chris Wassel. Um, he's, he's a man who has uh, many hats. I think he has more jobs than Russ Cohen, uh, one of which he writes for Russ Cohen at Sportsology. Uh, so we're going to talk about the Devils uh, in there, but this is going to this is going to be you know some kind of division, and every point is precious to say the least. Uh, like I said, uh, you know the Isles are off to a good start. Knock on wood. We've got a big game tonight in Tampa. I'll be very interested in that. How about how about possible? In, I know Clayton Carroll is the, the the favorite, but how about Matt Barzell, who I've been telling you about the last two years, 17 points in 18 games, sir. That, that's not too shabby. And, uh, you know, the Caps, you, you're seeing them uh, take the hits that they have in terms of the depth of their roster. They're doing okay, but they're not the team they once were. The Rangers have been up and down. They were down bad first 12 games, won six in a row, and now have dropped two in a row. You know, Carolina and Philly, you know, kind of around NHL 500. So, um, yeah, it's, it's an you know, Pittsburgh has had, you know, some – some ugly losses as well. So, uh, uh, although, uh, like I said, they are at 25 points. Although they've played the most games in the division, they've played 21 games. So, uh, right, and Carolina has three games in hand over most of the division, and they're sitting right there with 18 points. So, um, right, the Islanders and Carolina, Carolina. have played the least. Yeah, both of yeah. those teams have played 18 games, and then you got uh, and the Devils. Carolina, point that Carolina out. Devils, with 17. Yep, and the Devils have and played 18 Jersey, games as well. And New Jersey so. Islanders tied with 18. So. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, like I said, this is going to be and, – and to be honest with you, if the Devils are going to be a decent team, okay, forget about, you know, vying for first place, but, a, you know, much better than we expected, uh, this is going to be a very, very competitive division. The NHL today, as we all know, is, is about parity. And this division exemplifies it the most out of any. Well, Nashville, who we're, we're going to be talking about a little bit later with Justin Bradford when he joins the show, he just went through the uh, Metro division 
uh, wins against Columbus, Pittsburgh, and Washington in the last week. Um, looking at it now. They had a rough one pretty the other handle, night, though. Pretty, pretty handily. Coming off a five-game winning streak. Uh, losing to Minnesota in an ugly fashion, like you said, Thursday night. But that's after a five-game winning streak, starting with back-to-back wins, Anaheim and the Kings uh, on the third and fourth. And then uh, that, was a big win for, that was a big win for Minnesota. Yeah, yeah, they needed a shot in the arm. They needed a shot in the arm. But uh, with Nash, Nashville uh, wiping up the division in the last week, if you will, the the preseason favorites in the division. Um, we'll have a lot to talk about with Justin Bradford the farther into the show that we get. But no, I, I agree with you, Chris. I think that division is going to be. Um, I mean, right now, who do you count out of the playoffs from that division? No, I'm, I'm not right. ready to write it's anybody true. off yet. Yeah, and injuries are going to be a big, you know, losing uh, the team or two or three that loses a, a key guy, you know, uh, for a month or, you know, that very well could be the difference. Um, you know, all the teams, sure. in my opinion, in this division are are, uh, are at least solid, uh it, if not better, you know, depending upon who you talk to, all have really good pros, all have a con or two. Um, so some are in better position than others. Like I said, like like the Rangers, for instance, they've played an awful lot of home games. Okay, they've they, sure. they're they got a they have a 500 record, but they of their 20 games, they've played 13 at home. Whereas you know a team like the Islanders or or the Hurricanes, or, or you know, they have they've played a, uh, quite a more number of road games, and you know the the Islanders, I can tell you, they've played ten games on the road, and they've played some hellacious road games. I mean, uh, they already got the California trip out of the way. They've gone to St. Louis, they've gone to Minnesota, they've gone to Nashville. Uh, so they've they've uh, you know they're very happy with their start, other than a couple of games uh, here or there. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's like I said, it's going to be an interesting division, uh, to say the least. And uh, I guess we should point out too, to before moving on to Winnipeg, is uh, you know Columbus made some news this week, a really good move for uh, signing Cam Atkinson, uh, seven-year deal for just under six million a year. A little surprised, uh, he definitely took a bit of a discount, in my opinion. Um, yeah, for Atkinson sure. Atkinson is. I I I know he's not a center. Okay, so that that hurts your price a little bit. But this guy coming off, God bless. This is a guy coming off back to back sixty plus point years. We've seen the recent market of guys getting sixty points, like Ryan Johansson, getting eight million or a little over eight million a year. So he signs for basically six million a year. Plus, you know, he you would think like, all right, he's going to take less money, but he'll get that eighth year from Columbus that other teams can't offer him, you know, he signed for seven. So, uh, now, I don't know his numbers off the top of my head for this year. I don't know if he's off the, the same pace as, uh, as last year. I don't, I, think he's, I don't think he is, but still, that was a good pickup, a uh, good signing for Columbus, who supposedly is still very much in the market for, for help at center. So, um, anyway. Right, another minor trade. Another minor trade this week, the Kings and Edmonton threw a pair of forwards yeah. at each other with UC Okening going to Los Angeles for basically from Edmonton's press box. He hadn't been getting into too many games at all. And then the Kings sending Camilleri, Michael Camilleri, uh, up to Edmonton in that in that deal, which I, you know, Camilleri uh, started his career with the Kings and then he bounced around a little bit. And was, he, I don't know if he was fitting in as well this time around. Um, and with with the rookies, uh, I I follow and and Kimpe respectively, uh, picking up a little bit of the scoring uh, for Los Angeles that made Camilleri expendable, and they decided to bring in a little bit more two way oriented forward in UC Oakland, which I like that move for the Kings. And if he can get I in like there and, and yeah, if Camilleri can get up in there and and give a boost maybe to Edmonton's third line. Um, then it might work out good for Edmonton as well. But uh, Yokin and UC Yokin, it seems like uh, might be a real good fit in Los Angeles. Yeah, I think Yokin is a good fit to play that 
third line game. He, he seems like a really good LA King, both on one year deals. My, look, Mike Camilleri uh, has had a really nice career, to say the least. He's had some big years in this league. It just looks like it's over, to be quite honest. Uh, you know, Edmonton gained a little bit of a cap space, I believe. Uh, obviously, secondary scoring has been one of many issues up there. So, you know, they're they're trying to find li- they're hoping to find lightning in a bottle. You know, even even if it's not to get about for the whole season, even if Camilleri helps them for three months of the season, kind of thing. So. Uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll have to see what happens. But let's go to real quick before we go to the Vegas lane, talk about the Winnipeg Jets. I'm going to touch upon them along with the Blues with Justin. But, I mean, me and Matt Pryor in the Central Division preview show that we did, both were saying, like, this was our sleeper team. 11-4-3, 25 points. Um, you got two guys in Wheeler and Scheifel. Or, or, you know, 24 points respectively, 22 points respectively. Yeah. You know, Linne, Linne and Ellers have yet, I mean, they're playing good, but they've yet to, to take take off, if you will. Kulikov has been really solid for them, plus seven. And, you know, watch out. They have three some three really talented kids, and Kyle Connor, Joe Amari, and Josh Morrissey. All of them are contributing, yeah. which is all they need out of them for this year. But they're getting more experience, more confidence. And then Connor Hollabuck, who's been, you know, a top kid, top prospect. They've been waiting for him to kind of break through. They signed Steve Mason to give them some protection. Well, Connor Hollabuck, if, I mean, I know we're only at the quarter pole, but if they were going to have a Vesna Trophy vote, uh, he would be in the running because 10-1-2 – Two point two nine goals against, nine thirty save percentage. Uh, you know the Jets are um, in second place, only four points behind the Blues who are in first. But again, and I know it's early, but they do have two games in hand on the Blues, so they're right there with St. Louis. They're uh, slightly ahead of Nashville. Uh, this is a really talented team, as we talked about, and you got to feel this kind of start to give them this kind of confidence. And after Nashville, with the rest of the division basically hanging around 500, uh, I mean the Blues are uh, you know if they can have the, the if their next if their second quarter of the season can go as well as the first quarter, this is a team that uh, looks like it's going to really cement themselves cement themselves as you know locking in one of those top three slots in the Central Division. I, I agree. I agree. Interesting. You bring up St. Louis and Winnipeg. Both teams uh, have a loss to the Vegas Golden Knights. Isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah, so no, two good wins. Two two good wins. Uh, Winnipeg, both both games at home. So, um, no, no. You guys were both for sure. You and Matt both were were calling on Winnipeg to step it up this year and, and expected them to do so. And I was more of the wait and see, uh, show me, don't tell me kind of a deal on. I'm doing something real quick here. All right, we're good. Um, I was more of the wait and see because they had gone over a little bit of roster turnover from the last couple of years, and they were going to be counting heavily on some of the younger players they were bringing up. Um, but as you say, so far so good with with the youngsters. Um, you, you know, you know what you're going to get out of Patrick Liney, but like you said, some of the other guys coming up. I, I, I wanted to slow my roll a little bit on Winnipeg, but but you know, like you said, at the quarter pole, they're right there, right there, and it, it's kind of been a division um, overall. That's uh, we almost said this about the Pacific too that that the the bottom. I don't want to say bottom feeders, but the the teams that have been on the on the lower end of this division the last couple of years, we expected them to have a better a better season this year, and we were really questioning um, some of the some of the perennials. Me, Minnesota, you, and Matt more so Chicago, um, whether whether they were going to be able to maintain their recent level of excellence, and so far earlier in the season. I got to give the nod to uh, you and Matt on that one. <laughs> uh, 
with yeah, the so division. far, like I said, pretty I much mean, upside down, like you guys said. Yeah, I mean, for the both of if you're a Blues or Jets fan going in, it's not like you expected you expected to be contending for a playoff spot, but you were like worried about uh, certain things if certain things would come together. So to get off to this kind of start. And, you know, not only that, but, you know, I mean, Nashville, no surprise. They're, they're also a good start. Um, but the rest of the teams uh, in the division trying to – and Colorado's also a tremendous start, even though I think they're a game or two over 500. But for them, that's a tremendous start. So uh, they're, they're putting themselves in, you know, really good position, to say the least. So, so let's go down the Vegas lane. Uh, the, the, the Knights had two games this week. Um uh, both on the road, had a rough go of it in Edmonton. It happens. Uh, Dylan Ferguson scored some action in that game, towards the end of that game. Uh, good for him. And um, and Vancouver had a real nice comeback win. So we talked about, you know, kind of getting through this tough period. Uh, you know, again, this capped a nine-game stretch where eight of them are on the road. Obviously, during most of that stretch, um in fact, I think through, through, during almost all that stretch, other than the first uh, period and a half of the first first game, they were on their fourth, fourth goalie. So, you know, they have a really good record. Um, you know, good news is Malcolm Subban uh, was, was activated uh, last night, I believe. So I would imagine yeah. you'll see him in the Nets tomorrow night. Uh, yeah. Legacy goes back to being the backup. Phil Ferguson goes back. Excuse me. Goes back to junior hockey, so that's a that's a good position for the team as well. Uh, Lucas Bisto has put us placed on injured reserve, but they have some depth on defense. So, uh, but yeah, the yeah. Knights, uh, you know, got through a tough period there. Uh, they got one of the goalies back. I, I it sounds like I can't find anything on Oscar Dang. Uh, I think he's going to be out a little while. And Flurry, I'm sure. Uh, I haven't really seen anything with a timetable. They're going to be very careful with him, uh, and rightfully so. So, if Su- especially if Subban, not that they would rush him anyway, but if he can, if he could uh, pick up where he left off, uh, that'd be real fine. And this is a big week for the Knights coming up. Uh, they're one of the few teams that don't play tonight, but the next seven days they got four games. So they had kind of a light week last week. Uh, they only had two games. This week they have four. They're home to your LA Kings, sir tomorrow night, and then they go to Anaheim, and then they come back home for the Sharks, and then they go to Arizona. So let's yeah, see four if they divisional can pick games. Six. Yeah, so let's see if they can pick up. On the, uh, on the back of two divisional games. So it's really six division games in a row, sir. Four of which, yeah, of so course, they are can, on the road. Yeah, so if they can win, I mean, I always look at a block of games like this, potential eight points. If you can get six points, you gotta be, uh you got to be thrilled. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I actually look for them to build on on Vancouver. I thought Vancouver was a real good win. Um, come, you know, the Edmonton Vancouver isn't isn't the easiest trip to make, um, especially no. you know travel wise. So, especially coming off the the trouncing at the hands of the Edmonton Oilers on Tuesday night to uh, make that trip and then get to Vancouver and really dominate play uh, start to finish in the Vancouver game. Um, you know, the Va- I think the Vancouver nice, game was pretty important. They've been a nice surprise, too, Vancouver. That's, that's why I think there was a lot of writing on that game. Had Vancouver won, they would have jumped uh, Vegas in the standings. And, you know, it would have been another road loss, which uh, – you know the road thing is a little overblown with this team because the the road uh, started poorly in New York and lost a tough one in Boston. You know, but but you know if you look at their road wins, they do have a road win against Dallas, who's just a, a game out of the playoffs basically. Ottawa's currently tied for a playoff spot. Overtime loss in Toronto. I think that's a good overtime loss considering they were down three one early in that game and then battled sure. back. Um, so I mean, you look at them; they're they're four or five, and I think on the road. And, and we talked about this last week, where if you get fifty percent of your road points, and then you know take care of sixty, seventy percent of your home games, the, you're you're a playoff team. 
So they go, they go on yep. into Edmonton and, and they lay an egg. Let's face it. Uh, then, then to back that up and maintain your 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 standing position with a dominant performance in Vancouver, um, I, I thought that was a big a big confidence boost for that team. Not only just winning, but beating a playoff team, win, winning on the road, and and doing it in in deciding fashion. I think that sets them up for you know the coming week, as you said, four games, all all division. You know they've played six division games in the last counting Edmonton. It'll be in the last, uh, let's say, ten days to run through your division and six, you know, six divisional teams in ten, eleven days. That's a tough run, especially with four on the road. So, you know, that that twenty mark, we're we're getting real close to it, Chris. And that was the that was the point in the season where you you were uh, saying, let's see where yeah. they are at that point. Well, uh, if oh, you were to grade the Golden Knights. Uh, right now, you, you, after everything they've gone through with their goalies to maintain discipline and and maintain roster position, standing position, after going through the Shippishoff deal, which I've touched on in the past, and and hashtag Shippy Who, um, and just you know nose to the grindstone every night. You know you're gonna have a stinker. Every team's gonna have stinkers every year, and they got their first one out of the way in Edmonton, but. Uh, I don't see, I don't see much not to like in this Vegas Knights team. Now, and I, like I said, the next three games gonna be interesting to me. I mean, as you know, as you know, Mark, the Kings got off to a tremendous start, come back to the earth a little bit. I, I think they've lost is it three in a row or four in a row. I'm not sure. Four, coming off I mean, four-game losing streak. All been close games, by the way. I think they've all basically been one-goal games, which which shows you the difference between winning and this losing this league is so so small. Um, the Kings are playing this afternoon, so they'll get the Kings on a back-to-back situation. But they're going to get a hungry Kings team. Um, you know, then they go to Anaheim, who is right around 500. They have had a ton of injuries. I mean, them in Minnesota have gotten creamed with injuries. So they're they're trying to get their heads above, you know, trying to take that next step to go from – you know, survival mode with all these injuries to kind of positioning themselves a little bit more comfortable. And then by the time everyone comes back, really kind of make that run. And then the Sharks, you know, the Sharks are a good veteran team. They have strong goaltending. They have strong defense. They don't have a lot of, I mean, they, they really rely upon, you know, like three, like four guys to score. Uh, that's the problem over there. But, you know, not an easy team as well. So, they can if they can take two out of those three and then and then go uh, take care of business in Arizona. Although Arizona had a nice win, depends how you look at it. Arizona had a nice win in Montreal the other night, or you might want to say Montreal had a bad loss. But uh, uh, I, I'm kind of rooting for Arizona. Either way, I'm not saying again. Yeah, I'm not kind of I'm not rooting them against them against the Knights. But what I'm saying is I'm kind of I mean their record is like three fifteen and three. I mean that's just I'd like to see this team. Uh, put a lot together, a little bit of a streak. Give, give some of those kids some confidence, uh, and kind of moving forward, kind of thing. But uh, yeah, it's going to be an interesting week for the Knights. Uh, William Carlson, you know, maybe having the bigger role on on Vegas versus a very complimentary role. I always liked him. Um, he was a guy that looked like was going to be a real nice player for a team. You know, that kind of third line defensive center, chipping a little offense. Well, he's doing a lot more than chipping in offense. He's he's had you know, he looks like a real nice play. Yeah, he looks like a real. I really like the players they picked up in the draft. Um, you know, to me, the big story over the next two months is going to be where is this team going to be at in the standings at that time, and and given you know, are they going to be healthy in a good position health wise, and what does that mean uh, in terms of all these free agents in terms of. You know, do they look to sign any of them now? Do they look to? I'm sure the plan was to trade probably a majority of them. Um, I've been reading that uh, a number of teams have already kind of checked in with McPhee, especially about Neil and Perron. Just probably putting out feelers at this point. Um, you know, you never know where talks to lead. I don't expect a trade like that to happen for them now. But that's going to be, you know, that could wind up being a that could wind up being a very interesting call. You know, come February. Yeah, and just to go back to the Kings for a little bit, I'm looking the they're they're uh, 
Today's the last game of a five-game homestand, and they've lost the previous four. That's not a good look for this. And they weren't really all close games. Tampa Bay spanked them 5-2. Uh, yeah. The Sharks 2-1. They, they, they blew 2 nothing lead against Vancouver, lose that game in the last minute 3-2. Um, Boston gets them 2-1, so that's a close game. But um, yeah, really – yeah, and then the five two five two whooping at the hands of right, the Tampa game, and, and that was that was a deceptive five two because it was wasn't it like four nothing? It was five it was four or nothing, or, or yeah, yeah, it, it was a, it was a whooping. Um, so yeah, if they lose tonight, that's the five game. That's ten points that the Kings have just you know, bye bye. You won't yeah, get it's those big, ten it, points. It, yeah, you wanna you it's wanna they wanna end it. This is a big game. Yeah, and then they they kind of have the same they, they kind of have the same schedule going forward. You know, Rodie in, in Vegas, home to Winnipeg. Rodie in Arizona, home to Anaheim, and that's kind of where the, you know Vegas is going the next week. Home away, home away, home away. In fact, the Vegas doesn't play more than two home games in a row until I think starting their next home stand is December thirteenth. So. Um, Interesting, and then like you were talking about earlier with with the Rangers and and the Islanders' heavy home and and away schedule. I was looking through Ottawa, and they've got fourteen home games so far, and five five Is that right? games. Yeah, that, that was the discrepancy I could find just quickly quickly looking through the schedule earlier today, getting ready for the show and trying to compare, you know, wins and losses with with the with Vegas for the segment. Uh, here in the Vegas lane. So, yeah, to to look at Ottawa and, and another another team that uh, Vegas has a win against on the road, by the way. But yeah, they're 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 home game heavier than I think you said. The Rangers had thirteen or fourteen yeah, on, on at, at home so far. So uh, I, I I find it hard to believe anybody else has that big of a discrepancy as those two teams right now. Yeah, yeah, no, the, uh, I, that's, you know, like I said, and also it's where you play, you know, your your road games as well. Like I said, um, you know, not all road games are are equal. So uh, no, for but, sure. But uh, you know, you gotta be you gotta be thrilled where Vegas is at. They're getting Subban back tonight. Not that look, Subban. Uh, I, I think he played in what? Four I'm games? not sold. I, I gotta admit. He he played yeah, two I'm games not... here. He looked pretty good, but uh, remember he's a Boston Bruins. Oh yeah. I mean cast off. No, exactly. I, I don't want to make it sound like Flory is coming well, back because you yeah, know Dominic Cashick's not. Dominic Cashick's not showing up to play in a Malcolm right. Subban jersey. I mean, let's be honest here. But it is definitely, and with all due respect to Mr. Legays, I think it's definitely uh, an upgrade. So, uh, and again, in these kind of tight games. You know, every bit uh, every bit helps. So, uh, no, absolutely. So, if you're, you know, people in Vegas have to be thrilled of where the team is at, and um, um, it, you know, will be uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, next couple of months. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, one thing I will say when you get uh, Dansk and Legacy back in the minor league splitting time, um, you give that tandem let's say two to three years of AHL seasoning, maybe a year or two for Dansk, who I think out of the two, maybe even including Subban, um, you could, you, I think you could realistically, realistically see a couple of years down the road with Flurry gone and maybe Subban getting dealt for a piece when, Dansk and Legacy are ready. That's, you know, to come in under yeah, the pressure they, of starting a franchise and perform the way both those two goalies have. Um, I think McPhee and staff has done a pretty good job stocking the cupboard at the goaltender position, um, at least for or the Or another way to look at it is they, could, is they could wind up trading one of them, and depending upon what happens to the Flurry, they could always, you know, at that point – He's happy here and he's healthy, uh, re-signing Flurry. So it definitely gives him a lot of options. 
Yeah, no doubt. Well, well, let me uh, let me go ahead and bring in Mr. Justin Bradford, the author of The Making of Smashville. He's kind enough to join us on this Saturday morning or early afternoon, wherever you may be. Justin, welcome to the show, sir. Hey, guys. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. We appreciate you coming back. Um, always our go-to guy when we want to talk a little Predators hockey. And today, after a, after a kind of up-and-down start to the season where they win a couple, lose a couple, win one, lose one kind of a deal, getting getting out of the gate, and maybe that's the Stanley Cup hangover, or maybe maybe Neil and some Neil Dean and some of the new pieces um, taking a little while to gel. They've they they just we were talking a little bit about the Metro Division earlier in the season, and they just they just cleaned up on the perennial powerhouses uh, going through the Metro Division, and currently, you know, just off of, of a five-game winning streak to get right back into a, that number three spot. There, what what clicked as the calendar changed to November? and uh, brought the, brought Nashville onto that five-game winning streak to get back into it? I think a lot of it is a little bit of health, a little bit of guys getting used to finally play with each other, uh, guys coming back. Uh, Nick Benino kept coming back for the first time since middle of October. Uh, then, obviously, the trade. Kyle Turris coming in at some more center depth there as well, which puts guys more in the in the perfect spot where they're supposed to be playing in terms of their lines and their line mates. And I think a lot of it was Pecorine playing very, very good hockey, too, as a goaltender. And a lot of things just gelling. They're finally settling in to the defensive pairs that they want to go with while they're waiting for Ryan Ellis to get healthy. So a lot of that as well is just figuring out in the month of October, they're trying, Coach Laviolette was trying all different kinds of things in terms of the defensive sure. pairings and what he could do because now they're it's stacked in a weird way in terms of right and left and who has good chemistry with the others, who's going to play in certain special teams. They finally settled in now to that rhythm, especially after that trade of, of pushing Sam Gerrard over to Colorado. Now they have an idea of who they're going to go with down with Yannick Weber on the IR as well. They, they figured that out and have a lot more chemistry and they're gelling a little bit better offensively. There's still a lot of things they need to work on. Even with that five-game streak, they blew a lot of leads in that five-game winning streak and were able to muster out wins. So now, as a lot of people saw against Minnesota, they had a tremendous lead and blew that lead in the third period. So it's about learning how to hold on to a lead, not giving it up. And you don't, yeah, a win's great, but you still don't want to blow a lead to give another team hope. You want to get an opportunity to close a team out where you just shut them down the last 10 minutes of the third period and you're right on to victory. Hey, Justin, it's Chris here. And again, uh, this is Justin Bradford joining the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Uh, a great book, author of Maker, Making of Smashville. Again, you can find Justin at the both host and writes with Penalty Box Radio. You can find him on Twitter at Justin B. Bradford, B-R-A-D-F-O-R-D. Um, I'd like to get your take on the Kyle Turris trade. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, the, uh, the credits dealt from strength here in terms of um, it seems like they have a pretty good system. They gave up two really good kids in the deal and a second-round pick this year, which is mm-hmm. – uh, by many accounts, supposed to be a pretty darn good draft. But, again, they, they have a good amount of young players. And then signing Tars to the extension, what was your take uh, on that deal from a Purdue's perspective? Yeah, it was kind of funny. Uh, this this trade broke while I was watching Thor. Uh, so I get out of the movie to, to see everything going nuts in the hockey world. Of David Boyle, part of another big trade, go figure. Right. Uh, it's one of those things where – the Predators, I think, I think is one of those things as well where each team got what they wanted, and that's one of those uh, one of those opportunities where David Poyle now he's been a lot of he's been a part of a lot of those trades where the teams on both ends are getting what they wanted. And while one fan base may see as they're screwing over another one in terms of what they're getting back, I think the teams got what they want. Colorado got a, a stout young defenseman, another uh, potential prospect, a center, and draft picks from the Predators. And then Ottawa, they receive a center when they realize that, hey, Kyle Turris is probably not going to re-sign here long-term. We can trade him away. So they get something in return with Matt Duchesne. And then the National Predators wanting that true second-line center because Nick Benino, while he can play second-line center, he really isn't a second-line center. And that matter, he, he's, he's more of a middle six guy, wherever you want to put him. So I think right there, Nashville gets what they want because now with the way they've been able to draft some of these good players that are tradable, now they are getting asked if they want because they've never been horrible enough to pick so high multiple years in a row. So now 
both of their top two centers are overall third and fourth pick guys. And so that's pretty impressive there when you see that, hey, David Paul maybe not have been able to draft it, to draft high up because the team has been horrible, but he's been able to draft the right assets to make them pleasing to the other side. So I think in terms of what they've been able to do with the center depth now, and they have it for so many more years, like Ron Johansson, long-term contract, Pal Turris, long-term contract, Nick Benino for four years, including this season, that's going to go a very long way to the National Predators having good center depth, which we all know that's very important to win a championship. Penguins have had that. When the Chicago Blackhawks have been successful, they've done that. The LA Kings, you have to have good center depth to start. And so the Predators now have that with Pal Turris. He's not a sexy name, per se, especially to folks in the West. They're not used to hearing his name, but he's just as good as Matt Duchesne in terms of what the Predators needed out of out of their center depth. So I really do like the trade. Like Grant, I hate seeing Sam Gerard go away because it's really high on him. He's obviously going to be a, a stellar defenseman. He's going to represent his country uh, in multiple ways in the near future, too. So he's, he's a great defenseman. He's flashy. He fits into the NHL's style of play now as a defenseman with speed and having good puck control. But you have to give up to get. And for Nashville, David Poole obviously wants to win now. And he wants his team to be competitive for the next three to four years to hopefully put more cups in the Predators' hands. You know, uh, you mentioned before, Justin, about you know getting, dealing with some injuries. But from afar, it seems like if there's two things of, of, of two things that, you know, it's been a struggle for Nashville this year. You know, one is, you know, Ryan Johansson hasn't exactly been lighting up the score sheet. He, believe it or not, uh, I, I was surprised to learn this. He scored his first goal the other night in uh, 18 games. does have a number of assists, but only had one goal in the season and obviously coming off signing a very big extension. And then the other uh, uh, little bit of a problem area has been the play of the backup goalie. Uh, maybe we can address those two things and, and are the Preds, you know, looking to pounce on a trade to improve uh, that backup goalie situation? Uh, first, with Ryan Johansson, he hasn't been as stellar offensively as many folks would like to see him, only having one goal and ten assists. But overall, what I think that trade especially has done is taken the pressure off of Ryan Johansson. What we've seen from the Predators so far this season, when they are being successful offensively, they're getting a lot of good depth scoring. And that's things that they haven't necessarily had in the past was great depth scoring. You're, we're naming guys off that are in the bottom six that aren't usually going to be named in terms of scoring goals. Guys like Mika Salamaki, he's finally coming into his own and he's riding, he's riding a point streak as well. So you have the names you got want to hear. So Johansson and the first line of Forsberg and Arvidsson don't have that pressure to always put up the goals. Now adding Kyle Turris to that mix has been the hotline of Kyle Turris, Kevin Fiala, and Craig Smith. So it's okay for Johansson not to be there yet. Philip Forsberg started off extremely slow the past two seasons. He's starting off hot right now. Johansson, the points will come. The other thing with Johansson is he's also winning faceoffs at 56, just over 56.5% right now, and that is actually the best of his career up to this point. I know it's a small sample size for the early part of the season, but he's doing his job as a center in terms of winning those face-offs and getting the team possession. So this is little things that he's doing well. Do people want to see him do more? Do I want to see him do more? Absolutely. But his main job is to make those around him better, and obviously with Philip Forsberg and Victor Arvidsson, they're the top two point getters for the Preds right now. He's doing his job to help make them better. Uh, in terms of the, the backup goalie situation, Yusuf Saros, he's extremely young, and he was recently just sent down to Milwaukee and honors Lindback, who's been very good in the AHL, who's a former Predators prospect, has been doing very well in Milwaukee. So they switched those guys out. They're getting Saros playing time. The whole thing with Yusuf Saros is he needs to be playing. He's a young prospect. He still has a bright future ahead of him, but he can't be successful when he's only playing once every two and a half to three weeks. And that's the big issue with a young kid like that is you want him playing consistently. And so I've been calling for this for the past couple of weeks that he needs to be playing yeah. in Milwaukee and you pull him back up because he's, he's not, he doesn't have to go through waivers. You can send him up and down as much as you need to at, at this point. So give him the playing time in Milwaukee, call him up for a spot start in the NHL, send him back down. He's used to that. He's, he's done that before and he's just been successful that way. Instead of having him ride the pine and naturally, even though he's traveling with the team, getting that experience of practicing with the NHL club, he needs more and more playing experience. So I think what they're doing now is realizing that, seeing that, hey, get him some good starts in Milwaukee, call him back up with the team a little bit, send him back down. You can do that. Lindback, 
he's one of those guys who's a capable backup. That's all you want him to be right now, to come in if he needs to yeah. relieve Rene, or maybe, maybe get a start if Rene's just feeling ill or something of that sort. So I think it's totally okay. There's no need to worry about a backup goaltender situation for the Predators. They're, they're doing just fine. Just Saros needs to get more playing time. I think that that move, um, I think that move puts both those those players where they belong for right now, um, mm-hmm. and I and I, I I really like seeing seeing them do that because you, it's like when you when you have a when you have a you know highly touted offensively skilled forward who the only room on the roster uh, for him to come up and fill in is on the fourth line. Well, that's not you know, conducive to confidence or success or, you know, it doesn't grow the player to be playing eight minutes a night on a fourth line, and it doesn't grow the backup goalie in Nashville to be watching Pecorini play night in, night out. So to put him back back in the A and let him, you know, continue to log minutes, see pucks, see rubber, work on his game, and, you know, we know Anders Lindback, we know what he can do, we know he's capable backup, and I think reasons that um, – Nashville was able to make a deep run into the playoffs last year is because Pecorini was fresh going into mm-hmm. the postseason. And it, it, to have the coach's confidence in a backup goalie to go ahead and put him in a start in a back-to-back instead of wondering, you know, kind of wondering if, if you can trust the backup goalie, I think that really, you know, actually solidifies what they want to do with the the goalie position in Nashville. I did want to get back to the tourist trade just for a second and get your take. I've been I've been thinking more and more about it, and and we talked about it last week on the show right after it happened. Um, I hope you enjoyed Thor, by the way. Um, I, I, no spoilers, but I haven't seen it yet. My daughter went and saw it. She said it was she said it was fantastic. So um, I, I hope you had a good time with that. Um, but uh, back to the back to this and. And, you know, we're calling it the tourist deal. It's, you know, the whole thing was the Matt Duchesne deal, right? But I think, I think if you if if we you know snapshot three years down the road, let's say let's say Duchesne doesn't like it in Ottawa. He's not willing to take a haircut on his salary to sign in Ottawa after next season. So gone. Um, and you know, you get the three picks and and four picks and three prospects in Colorado, maybe one or two of them flame out, maybe one or two of them end up to be second, third line hybrid kind of players. And, um, you know, Sam Girard ends up being a real nice piece as a, as a middle pair defenseman. Um, to have tourists locked up, I think one of the biggest things in that deal we didn't touch on earlier was that tourists did sign the six-year, $6 million uh, extension when he when he got to Nashville, and that that locks in that second line player behind Ryan Johansson as your first line center for the next you know foreseeable future as long as you know this core group of guys is probably going to be together. Um, I don't think it's stretch to once again say Poyle set himself up to be the long term winner of this whole three-way fiasco or deal that finally ended the Matthew Shane saga in Colorado. I'd just like to get your take on how important signing Kyle Turris that extension is to the long-term, you know, did we win this trade aspect of, of the conversation uh, was to Nashville. Yeah, that was, that was the, that was the deal of it. The, 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 I think if everybody remembers, we started hearing the inklings of the rumor that this three-team trade was going to go down on the Friday before the Sunday that it happened, it was, it was maybe even the Thursday. And the, the, the whole reason it took a few days for it to come to fruition was basically because Ottawa and Colorado were waiting on Nashville to get the deal done with tourists. So had tourists not right. agreed to sign an extension with Nashville, the whole trade would not have happened. So it was all basing it on him signing in Nashville long-term to that six-year deal. So that's that's the go. big thing right there is they had to wait for that to develop and, and to happen or else it was not, or else it was just going to flunk out again like what happened earlier in the summer with all the different Matt Duchesne rumors because David Boyle had pretty heavy rumors that he offered at least three times to Joe Sackick for Matt Duchesne, even though at the time Boyle even mentioned that he was interested in Kyle Turris just the, the dominoes weren't falling right for there to be a trade just between Nashville and Ottawa. That's why it had to be that three-team thing for it to happen where everybody kind of gets a piece. But that's where that six-year deal where Kyle Turris even said it really wasn't on the table for Ottawa 
worked out for the Predators to get that because that's what made the deal happen was them waiting on him. And he and his wife even mentioned it in, in his phone conference that they chose Nashville. Basically, he was being treated like a free agent because he wouldn't have signed that extension if he didn't want to. So the cliche things that he was saying in his phone conference were legit true things because he said he and his wife were looking at what the schools were like in Nashville, what the living was like in Nashville. They wanted to be here. So he chose Nashville as a quote-unquote free agent, even though he was signing an extension for that trade to happen. So that's a good thing in terms for Nashville fans to know that he chose for that trade to happen to Nashville and not another team. So I think that goes a long, long way for him signing that contract for them to have that center depth because, like you said, it overall it does give Nashville lots of viability now for the foreseeable future down the center because they don't have to worry about trying to draft that. They have that there with them right now, and that's what you need to be successful. The Predators, as we've all seen, they can pick defensemen off trees all the time. Uh, when you're able to trade Shea Weber, <laughs> Seth Jones, and now Sam Gerrard, and you still have one of the best defensive scorers in the league, you're pretty good at drafting defensemen. Uh, so I think they're pretty confident in what they have for right now and for the core they have for the future. And their number one prospect is defenseman, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely, Dante with Dante Fabro, Fabro in college, Fabro. though. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I, you know, the more I thought about it this week, Chris, and we and we talked last week a little about it, and I hadn't really looked into it too much. I, I, I was leaning this way at the start, but um, I, I, I think potentially that that, and we th- we talked also the, I mean, obviously with Johansson and Fisher, um, you know, taking injuries in the playoffs, they were still able to get past Anaheim, but then you take. Pittsburgh deep, um, you know, in, in cycling they use the phrase deep is, is, is the, the cyclist willing to go, meaning how, how far into the reserve of energy is is somebody willing to, to spend to finish a climb or what have you. And, then you know, they made Pittsburgh go pretty deep into that well without their number one and number two centers. Um, so I, I think, you know, Poyle, Poyle saw that. Poyle, Poyle knew how good this team can be with the defense that he, that he's building. You know, one more piece, we locked that up. We, we got to be uh, contenders in the, in the West for you know years and years to come with the the young group on D and the the forward core. You know that Laviolette has that play style system of hockey where I said in our in our preseason you know preview show that they're, they're going to muddle along third, fourth, second, third, fourth with the, the St. Louis's and, and I thought Chicago would be a little better than they are. Um, racking up the, the, you know, the season offensive wins or, or what have you. But, uh, you know, much like the Kings come playoff time, they're going to be a favorite. They, they do squeak in as a seventh, seventh seed in the, the West or what have you. Once, once, once the second season starts, you have to look at Nashville now as being, um, if not the favorite, one of the two or three teams to look at and go, yeah, they could absolutely make it to the cup final again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, with the way that Nashville's built. And the, and the big thing right now is you can you can tell they're trying to make sure that it's going to be an easy changeover once Peck Arena is done. And Nashville with Yusuf Saros, and that's why they're getting that playing time because they've built this team now to be competitive for four, five, six years uh, from now as long as health is there. But Pecorino's contract is only for the next couple of years, so they want to have an easy transition in goals. They can remain competitive, at least up front. And you, you have to have strong goaltending, especially in playoffs. It was, it was the reason why they made it to the final was because of Pecorino. That's what really drove them there because there were so many games where they were getting out shots a few times and he was making stellar saves. He's the one that even though he faltered in Pittsburgh and only in Pittsburgh, he's the one that got them that far. But you have to be solid in that. And so that's what they've really done is built them to where now the Predators, they're they're the, the vision of the new type of NHL where you have mobile defensemen, you're strong at center, but you don't have to have big guys. You have guys that have good, strong shots from the point as well, because now they, the Predators obviously know it's not really the Chicago's they have to compete with for the most part now. It's the Edmonton, the future, with Connor McDavid and Drysaddle and, and, and those types of teams where they have speedy guys that you really have to defend against. That's who they're competing against for the foreseeable future Whereas Colorado, I mean, Chicago, excuse me, you can already see is starting to falter a little bit. 
and they haven't had the best start to the season. Their their reign is is coming to an end. Even though they're always going to be dangerous with the pieces that they have, yeah, their careful, reign is starting to come to an end. Now you see the new <laughs> NHL. <laughs> careful with that. That's where I've counted them out three or four years in a row, and and uh, yeah, saying the reign is coming to an end. That's uh, that's heady words, sir. Heady words. Let's hold off on. Well, on the, sweep in the, the sweep in the first round will do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Let me throw it over to Chris. He's got one or two more for you, and then we're going to have to let you go, sir. Uh, thank you again, Justin Bradford, right. for coming on to the Vegas Hockey Podcast and spending some of your chat Saturday with us. And uh, let me let you close things out here with Chris. Chris? Yeah, I got two quick hits for you, Justin. Uh, first one, if I said to you, Justin, which central team out of Dallas, Minnesota, and Chicago would you be most concerned for in terms of making the playoffs? In your opinion, which one is it and why? At this point, I would say it's Minnesota, uh, just because they they seem to be the quietly steady hand oftentimes. They just can't put it together necessarily, and they're due to put it together. Uh, As my words remarked in the last question with Chicago, I don't think as many people will fear them as much, even though they're dangerous, but they kind of have their – MO in terms on how to stop them. Dallas is one of those teams where it just seems to be they're really good on paper, but they still, even with Hitchcock, can't put it together to be successful, even though they do have a lot of those weapons there. But it's it's questionable on how they can be. So I would go with Minnesota right now. And finally, this is the Vegas Hockey Podcast. So love to hear your thoughts, uh, you know, kind of an, uh, another perspective. Uh, what are your uh, thoughts uh, on the Golden Knights, uh, you know, about six weeks into the season? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think it's most people in the hockey world just hate seeing what has had to happen in terms of the goaltender situation there, uh, in terms of how they start, Vegas start off so, so great, and then the goaltender curse hit. On the other hand of that, it's getting goaltenders a lot of experience for the future, in that organization, which is very, very good to have the, the junior goalie get called up and have him make a start uh, and, and to have that depth. And now they're finally getting healthy. But the biggest thing with Vegas is seeing the fan support that has come out there and seeing how competitive the team has been and how they're not getting trampled on. Like so many other expansion teams have, they have an extremely competitive team there and you can see it just in the standings. I mean, even though they've had some rough games, they're still second in the Pacific. That's a really, really good sign there. Plus, their offense is clicking. And in, in past expansion teams, it was always hard to get an offense to produce because you're always picking from the bottom of the litter. And now you have David Perron and James Neal that are doing extremely well in terms of getting points for that team. And long road trip will, will sometimes hurt you. But I like seeing Vegas successful. I like seeing the fans show up. I like seeing a lot of these players that some teams said, you know what, you know, we, sorry, we just can't protect you. So you're going to have to have a fresh start with an expansion team. I like seeing a lot of those players step up knowing they have something to prove because they apparently weren't, quote-unquote, good enough for another team. So I like seeing Vegas be successful. I like seeing the fan support around it. Uh, I can't wait to hopefully get there soon for a game to take it in because there are so many good things about it. And, I mean, heck, I, I'm playing NHL 18. I actually just played Vegas as the Predators, and it took me to overtime shootout. <laughs> so <laughs> there you go. even the video game. Even the video game, they're extremely competitive. So I really like seeing a competitive expansion team. I think the way they did it, even though some fans will not agree with that, I think they did it right to give Vegas a head start so they can be successful. You want a team like that to be successful. You don't want them to fail. Uh, You don't want hockey to fail. It's about growing the sport, and they're doing a great job of introducing so many new fans to the game and growing the sport because won't it be awesome when you hear more and more times of, hey, this kid grew up playing hockey in Vegas and now he's getting drafted in the NHL. I love stories like that when you hear about expansion teams being the part of the reason why a kid is getting drafted in the NHL. So that's just a future success story in the next generation that's going to happen. It's going to happen there. And so I love seeing that kind of storyline. Yeah, you don't have to look any farther than Austin Matthews, right? The the reason he he chose hockey was because he saw the Arizona Coyotes play. So, you know, but for the Coyotes in Arizona, Austin Matthews – you know, he could have been a baseball player or, or a football player. He could have went any direction he wanted to as freak athletically as that kid is. Um, but, no, he went to the hockey game, fell in love with the game in Arizona, and, uh, yeah, the rest is history with that kid. We already Absolutely. have uh, one guy in 
in the in the National Hockey League, Jason Zucker, who's a Las Vegas kid. And um, the way this this team, and we we spoke a little bit last time you were on the show about how Nashville went out into the community to solidify a young fan base when you know when they got their expansion team there. And and one thing I'll say about Vegas is they've they've you know the day after the expansion draft they had uh, Flurry, England, Neil, and a couple of the other guys uh, go to four or five different different schools, handing out sticks and pucks, holding little impromptu uh, hockey camps with a bunch of the kids here in town. Mm -hmm. They bought up the Las Vegas Storm, our, our, I think, double-A junior team that we have here, uh, bought them up, rebranded them with junior knights, uh, you know, threw, threw all the gear and bells and whistles at them. Um, so that, that aspect of, you know, how's it going to be in the community, it, it obviously is forefront in their mind. Uh, at, from an organizational standpoint is and then you know what we saw after one October here in Las Vegas with the uh, players getting out of the community and, and stopping by the first responders mm -hmm. the hospitals uh, giving giving their own blood uh, and, and the blood drives um, and just just embracing the community um, really fantastic work by the Golden Knights I, I, I'll say their community involvement um, and it, I don't know it, you know it's it's to build a fan base, but it's also to build community, I think. Um, and I think they've done a fantastic job with that out of the gate. Absolutely. Absolutely. Totally agree with that. And I think a lot of, folks, a lot of folks learn from Nashville and what they did, like you said, but you have to be out in the community and you have to have the right people in an organization to be willing to go out into the community because we've seen other franchises not do that and they haven't been near as successful. So being in the community, having the community support, growing that, it'll go a long way for 10, 20, 30 years from now, not just right in the first five years. Well, Justin, it's great to have you on. Again, everyone follow Justin on Twitter at Justin B. Bradford. Again, follow his stuff, co-host uh, at the Penalty Box Radio, as, long, as well as a writer. Check out his book, Author of Making of Smashville. And Justin, we'd love to have you back on and during the second half of the year and uh, maybe as we're getting ready for the playoffs, uh, take a look of where the Preds are at and, uh, and where the Western Conference is at. Absolutely. Anytime, guys. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Justin. All right. All right. Thank you, sir. So we're going to wrap up the show, but I, I, I asked Mark for 60 seconds here. Quick hits just to pr promote. Everyone should be checking out uh, we're with, uh, you know, Grandstand Sports Network. That's GrandstandSportsNetwork.com. Our show is on there as well as a number of other hockey shows and football shows. Uh, I know there's a Bruins podcast. Uh, there's a Buffalo Sabres podcast. So uh, the site is off to a really good start. So a report about it. This is from Chad Dominguez, our, uh, our one of our fearless leaders over there. And also check out our show over at Russ Cohen's SoundCloud page as well. Russ has a number of good shows. That channel, we're really fortunate to be part of both of those channels. Uh, next couple, so we got three shows left for 2017. Next week, as I mentioned before, we'll have Chris Wassel on to talk about the Devils. Following week, we'll have Mr. Lyle Richardson. Uh, you know him. He, he's the fearless leader over at Spectres Hockey. So we'll talk a lot of trade rumors with that, with him. Uh, uh, that should be a lot of fun. And then our last show for 2017, December 9th, will just be me and Mark, and we'll kind of do a, a recap of, we'll talk about a review of each division, where the Knights are at, and break down each division as well. And uh, uh, in terms of tomorrow night, if uh, you're not doing anything, 6 p.m. East Coast time, I'm going to give out, I usually don't do this, but there's a special reason for it, NHL on the Ice uh, podcast. You can find us at, at NHL on underscore the underscore ice. Brian Yates loves underscores. Um, 6 p.m. Eastern, uh, Mark Warner here is going to be our, one of our special guests. He'll be on at hey. 30 p.m. Eastern. And he will Should be, be a lot talking of fun. Vegas Bulls. Yes, yeah, talking Vegas Bulls and Knights, as well as uh, some other Pacific division. I'll probably hit you up on some Kings questions. Hopefully you'll be coming off a Windsor. So, uh, uh, <laughs> Either way. <laughs> well, yeah. No, well, I mean tonight. And, I mean, uh, it's before, yeah, it's before tomorrow night's game. So. 
Right. So for Kings for your sake, uh put you in a kind of a good mood. So uh uh all right, you have any last uh you have last any last thoughts, sir? No, I think we pretty much covered it. Um good good, good talking with Justin as always. Um uh, his 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 take on the the tourist deal. I told you last week I was hoping that that would be the last time that we had to talk about that trade, and then you bring Justin in. So of course we have to. Ask you brought you you brought <laughs> you brought it up. I don't. <laughs> Predator's standpoint. I want that on the record. Yes sir. Yes sir. Yes sir. And we and it's funny we're calling it the Kyle tourist deal, like I you know not the Matthew Shane trade. So at least I got away from that part of it. Yes. Okay, buddy. Well, that's going to do it for this week. We appreciate everybody. I wanted Chris to put in the show notes today to remember behind U.S. and Canada, our number one audience outside of North America is Sweden still and continuing to grow in their listenership numbers over there. Can't wait for Branderstrom to show up in the Vegas Golden Knights so we can touch on another Swedish kid playing for the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, So we appreciate you guys over there. Keep listening. Keep emailing the show. We enjoy we enjoy hearing from you and and having you as listeners to the show. So we appreciate that a, a great deal. Um, but that's going to do it for this week. We got to run. So for Chris, I'm Mark, and we're gone. <laughs>